Hi, my name is Jeff Redding. I'm a preaching elder here at Walton Community Church in Monroe, Georgia. Before we begin the sermon, our church would like to invite you to join us as we gather every Sunday morning for worship at 10 a.m. You can learn more about our church on our website at waltoncommunitychurch.org. Thanks for listening. Amen. Thank you so much. It's always a, a joy to be here with you, to, to worship our God and King, to worship our Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, this morning, we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 17, so you can turn with me in your Bibles to Luke uh, chapter 17. And as you turn there, just a, a brief update, as, as you've heard, we are going to Dubai. I was here in April or, or May, and I preached on uh, 1 Corinthians and, and just talked about how uh, Paul was often unaware of where he was going. And at that season, we were unaware of where we were going to go next. But now we have an open door to minister in Dubai. So I'll be going and being a seminary professor there. So we appreciate your prayers. We'll be moving in, in January. And Dubai is, uh, like George mentioned, it is a gateway city. There's a lot of immigrants that, that come to Dubai, and the seminary's goal is to train those immigrants while they are in Dubai and then send them out as church planters and, and church leaders throughout the Middle East region, but really uh, across the world. The seminary right now has 170 students uh, from 20 different countries, so it's a really amazing opportunity, so uh, please be in, in prayer for us as we go and for the ministry and the Middle East and um, just that the gospel would, would go forward. So thank you for your partnership with us in, in the gospel. We, we appreciate you all so much. So this morning we'll be, we're going to be looking at Luke uh, chapter 17. And the point of this passage is to show us who Jesus is. It shows us who Jesus is in all his power and all his purity, how he can clean uncleanness and how he is God himself. So the main story, or the main point rather, of the text is that Jesus is the God who is more powerful than sickness and, in, and death. And he reaches down to the foreigners and brings them close to him. And, and those who are brought close to Jesus and saved by God, their proper response to Jesus is thanksgiving and worship. So we'll, be, we'll kind of be thinking about this text in light of the fact that thanksgiving is coming. And, and, and think about what it means to have a worshipful thanksgiving. So that's the point of this text. The context that that Luke is, is telling us about is Jesus is on a journey. He's traveling. So if you don't know Israel geography during, during the first century, it was Galilee up north and then Samaria and then Judea and Jerusalem down south. So Jesus, a Galilean, a Galilean Jew, set his face towards Jerusalem. He's going to travel to Jerusalem in order that he may, might die and rise again. So Jesus is traveling from the north country through Samaria to get to Jerusalem 
so that he could die for our sins. So Luke chapter 9 verse 51 had had set this whole stage of his travel. As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. So he's, he's resolutely setting out to Jerusalem. And in this travel narrative, Luke shares what Jesus taught and what he did during his travel from Galilee to Jerusalem. So we come to Luke chapter 17, verse 11. On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourself to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. He fell at, on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, Were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to, to him, rise, go on your, on your way, your faith has made you well. So first, in, in verse 11 and 12, notice how Luke is setting up this whole scene. He's setting up this historical narrative and he's emphasizing these borders and these boundaries and these divisions and the distance. So Luke is like an artist here and he's telling us this historical event happened, but he wants you to realize that this is happening between the border of Galilee and Samaria. And Jesus is standing at a distance from these lepers. Luke wants us to feel that boundary. He wants us to feel that distance. We're often familiar and we're often reminded of the fact that the Samaritans and Jews were at hostility with one another. They hated each other. There was all sorts of prejudice against, these, against one another. There was actually even prejudice between Judea in the south and Galilean Jews up in the north. But both of them, both the Galilean Jews and the Judean Jews, were united in their hatred of Samaria, of, of, of the Romans as well, yes, who were over them, but especially the Samaritans. They couldn't stand the Samaritans. And we're familiar with Jesus' journey through Samaria at another time when he meets the Samaritan woman at the well and he asks the woman for a cup of water and and she looks at him and is just amazed and says, how could it be that you, being a Jew, ask for me a drink since I am a Samaritan woman? And then John, in, in John chapter four, adds this detail for us, us Gentile readers. He says, for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. They have no dealings with Samaritans. The Samaritans followed the law. They followed only the first five books of the law. 
And, and even their name in Hebrew, Shemarim, means keeper of the law. So it's almost a jab at the Israelites, a jab at the Jews saying, we are the keepers of the law. And they even set up for themselves a place of worship in Mount Gerizim as an alternative to Jerusalem. They said, it's on this mountain that we are going to worship, not in Jerusalem. So their, their very existence was an offense to the Jewish people. But yet when we read our text, we come, we come to find that this group of lepers is made up of at least one Samaritan. It, it may even be a mix of Jewish and Samaritan lepers. They were united in their misery. Their common denominator was their terminal illness. It, their, their illness, their, their sickness, their, their lostness, their uncleanness brought them together. It transcended their prejudices and differences and united them in this little community of lepers. Together, Samaritans and Jews stood as outcasts from the law. They were, they were branded as outcasts. They were branded as unclean. Both of them, under the pronouncement of Torah, the law of God, were unclean. Leviticus chapter 13, verse 45, goes into, into great detail about just how unclean these people were. The leprous person who has this disease, this is Leviticus 13, the leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose. And he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. So it's a very serious illness. His dwelling will be outside the camp. He will be alone. And yet here are these ten lepers together, alone, outside the camp. So leprosy in, in the Bible is a generic term, term for skin disease. And for us in the 20th, 21st century, we want to know what was this leprosy? We want to know the, the, what, what, did it ha what did it do to the body, right? So leprosy was a general term. Anything, any skin disease, whether it was an infectious disease, whether it was a mold disease. In, in Liberia, we saw mold diseases. So any sort of disease that, that infected the skin fell under this category of leprosy. Now, there's a lot of debate, but it seems like at least our modern version that we see in other countries of Hansen's disease was at least covered by, by this term leprosy. And Hansen's disease is, is a horrific disease. It, it disfigures the person. It, it lives with, within the cells. It cause, causes discoloration of the skin, lumps on the face and ears, disfiguration and paralysis in the hands and feet, and it slowly but painlessly eats away at you because it also kills your nerves. So you could literally see yourself dying. It was a, is, 
and was a horrific disease. But for the people back in Israel's day, they they didn't care so much. They did care, but they didn't care as much about the fact that this was bodily harm, that this was an infectious disease. What they cared about was that this isolated them from the community. This cut them off from the community of God. It cut them off from their relatives. They were utterly and completely alone and unclean. One commentator says, The leper, like a dead body, was known as the father of uncleanness, the prime source of ritual impurity. The leper was like a walking corpse, and his cure was likened to raising the dead. One of my favorite stories is the story of Ben-Hur. If you know the story of Ben-Hur, it, it builds up <clears throat> to this, that, and it re- revolves around this, this story of leprosy. Ben-Hur was a Jew in the, in the first century who was sold into slavery. He, he goes out. And he's a slave on these Roman boats and he toils for years as a slave and he, and he starts to plot his revenge and dream about being reunited with his family that was, that was torn from him. He dreams about being reunited with his mother and his sister. And, and finally, Ben-Hur gets his freedom. He gets free from the Romans and, and he goes and begins this quest to find his mother, and his sister. And finally, at the, at the climax of the story, he finds his mother and sister. But instead of an embrace, what he's met with is the words unclean, unclean. The story tells the perspective of the mother. It says, unclean, unclean, the mother cried. The boy of whom she had so constantly thought must, at meeting her, stand far off. If he held out his hands to her and called mother, mother, for the very love of him, she must answer, unclean, unclean. The brave woman accepted the lot and took up the cry that was forever to be the way she greeted others, unclean, unclean. So this demonstrates the the emotion and hopelessness that these lepers had. It, it, it isolated them from, from their family members, from worshiping at the temple. And, and there is no illness like it. There's, the only thing that's like it is death itself. And we're quickly, we begin to think, oh, that's so horrible for those people. That's so horrible for those people, those, those leprous people. But the reality is, is that sickness, sickness is a parable that reminds us of our own spiritual sickness. Leprosy is a parable. It's a, a reminder, a symbol of who we are before God. Of who we are before God. We have a distance between us. We are unclean. He is holy. Sickness illuminates our spiritual condition. 
Sickness exists in the world because the curse exists in the world because of the rebellion and because of the fall. It's been, the world has been subjected to this curse and sickness just, just morphs and, and transforms and, and is hard to eradicate, is difficult to get rid of. And it's there to remind us of our mortality and the fact that we are fundamentally broken people crying out for redemption. So these sicknesses become a parable of who we are apart from Christ. As I was in Liberia, lying on the bed with fever, either either the time I had mumps or malaria, it was just this, this palpable reminder that we are broken, that we are mortal, that we are broken. But those, those sicknesses show us a deeper spiritual reality that we need to be healed by God himself. Not just our physical bodies, but our spiritual souls as well are needing restoration. Matthew Henry, the great Puritan commentator, once said about this text, a sense of our spiritual leprosy should make us humble in our approach to Christ." Who who are we that we should draw near to him who is infinitely pure? Maybe you, you feel that distance this morning. Maybe you feel that distance between you and Jesus this morning. Maybe you feel that that your sin, and and sin is so much like sickness, it it isolates us, it it quarantines us, it puts us outside of the camp, it destroys and eats away at our relationships, and it destroys and eats away at our relationship with God as well. So maybe you feel that distance this morning. No matter what your, your sin is, whatever it is, it has a destructive nature about it. It will destroy your relationships. It will destroy your walk with God. It will destroy your walk with Christ. Whatever it is, lust, greed, materialism, disobedience to parents, sloth, laziness, envy, bitterness, all these things corrode our relationships and put us at enmity with God himself and give us that distance between us and Jesus. If you feel that this morning, if you feel that, I've I've got good news. Jesus came to heal the sick. Jesus came to heal the sick. So brothers and sisters, be aware of the fact that you are sick that you are spiritually sick, that there is this distance between you and God that must be erased. You must have reconciliation. You must have the God of the universe cleanse you and call you to himself. That is your greatest need this morning. Let's let this text remind us that we have this need, that we have this sickness, that we need rescue, that we need mercy. Us Christians and those who are are not Christians, come to Christ. He is the answer. But us Christians too, remember, cry out to Christ for mercy. Cry out to Jesus for mercy. 
And that's exactly what these lepers do in, in verse 13. The desperate cry of the lepers is, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. In verse 13, and lifted up their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. So that's the cry of the desperate human heart. The heart that needs Jesus to save him or her. Jesus, Master, have mercy. Beating our our breasts like the, the tax collector does saying, Jesus, have mercy on my soul. Jesus, have mercy on me, a sinner. That's the cry of the human heart. But the question is, what kind of mercy are we asking for? What kind of mercy are we asking for? Are we asking for that that spiritual mercy? Every single one of us, when when we have an emergency or, or a sickness, we cry out to Jesus, have mercy on me, heal me, Jesus. Every single one of us prays those Jesus take the wheel type prayers. Those emergency prayers. But the question is, are we going to the heart of the matter? Are we praying this not just for for emergency situations, but for the state of our soul? For the state of our soul. Everyone wants their own personal Jesus, their own genie Jesus that they can get three wishes from. In Africa, we, we dealt with that so often, uh, of getting us out of this emergency situation. But the question is, do we want the Jesus who is Lord of the universe, that we have no claim on, that he is the one who is high and lifted up, high and holy, and, and we are on our knees asking him for mercy. He is Lord, we are not. So let's move on to to verse 14, where we see the healing. It's a physical and a social healing. In in, in verse 17, sorry, in verse 14, it says, When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourself to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. So Jesus' response to their cry is so interesting because he doesn't immediately heal them. And he does that so often. He, sometimes he immediately heals them. But with this instance, he tells them, go and show yourself to the priests. Go and fulfill the law of Moses. So you can imagine what these, Samar- the, these uh, lepers were, were thinking as they hear this. Go and show ourselves to the priests. Jesus, we came to you because you alone can clean me. These priests can't clean me. These priests can only look at me and tell me whether or not I am clean or unclean. Is this some sort of cruel trick that you are playing on us, Jesus, just to try to get us away from you so you don't have to see us anymore? You can imagine them being like like Naaman who went to Elisha for healing and and goes all the way from Syria to Israel. And he says, were there not enough wasn't there enough water in Syria that I have to go baptize myself in the dirty Jordan River? What is this this game that you're playing, Elisha? You can imagine all these thoughts. But, But 
these lepers had to respond in faith. They had to respond in faith to the word of Christ that Jesus Christ would heal them sometime before they got to the priest. They had to have faith in future grace. They had to have faith in future. And that's sobering because we know the rest of the story. Ten of the lepers had faith, but only one of the lepers had a faith that saved. So they go, and you can imagine just the, the joy and the release of, of, of going to the high priest. And as they went, seeing their disfigured bodies made whole, seeing those patches of skin turned to healthy flesh, and just filled with relief and, and joy and wonder. In verse 15 and 16, see the thanksgiving and the response. In verse 15, then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. And he fell on his feet, face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. So we hear nothing of what happens to the other nine after this, but we know what happens to one. He goes to the place where he needs to go. He goes to Jesus' feet. But there's something staggering about these verses. There's something amazing about these verses, about who they present Jesus to be. Jesus, in these verses, is simultaneously presented as God himself, God in the flesh. He's presented as the temple and as the high priest. All those things in these few verses, Jesus is presented as the answer to the human predicament. Because we meet God, we are able to worship at the feet of Jesus, and he is our high priest. So notice, it says he returns to, is glorifying and worshiping God, and he falls at whose feet? At Jesus' feet. He's glorifying God at Jesus' feet. He's thanking God at Jesus' feet. He comes to the God-man's feet and worships him in freedom and in truth. Now for us Christians, this is normal, but this would have been blasphemous in the sight of anyone who was witnessing those days. Jesus is saying that he is God himself. Because notice in the text, he has to return, and Jesus says, and give thanks to God by giving thanks to Jesus. It's a clear statement of Jesus' divinity. In verse 18, was no one found, this is Jesus' mouth, was no one found to return and give praise to God except for this foreigner? But notice, notice the, the, that the distance. Where's the distance? There's no distance anymore. The distance has been eradicated. The distance, this one who was standing far off at a distance has now been brought near to Christ and is at the feet of Jesus worshiping him. It's a reconciliation. He's been redeemed, he's been restored, he's been made new at the feet of Jesus. And it's amazing just how often the Bible speaks of the feet of Jesus. 
of the feet of Jesus. The first prophecy in the whole Bible is about the feet of Jesus. How Jesus will crush the head of the serpent with his feet. How beautiful is the one who preaches good news, Isaiah says of his feet. How beautiful is the one on the mountains who brings the gospel of peace. How beautiful are Jesus' feet. Psalm 22 says, his, they have pierced my hands and feet. Mary, the sister of Martha, worshipped as she sat and listened to Jesus at his feet. Mary Magdalene washed the feet of Jesus with her tears and with her hair. She washed the feet of Jesus, those beautiful feet that bring the gospel. The last book of the Bible in Revelation, John the apostle is worshiping. He's worshiping in the spirit. And on the Lord's day, he's worshiping and he hears the voice of a trumpet sounding behind him. And he turns around and he sees one like the son of man with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white like wool, like snow. His eyes were a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, those beautiful feet refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars. And in his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like... The sun shining in full strength. And John's response, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. I fell at his feet. Because you see, this this description of of the leper at Jesus' feet, it it gives the leper a, a foretaste of heaven. When we forever will be around the throne worshiping at the feet of Jesus. Like that song says, we fall down, we lay our crowns at the feet of Jesus. We sing holy, holy, holy is the lamb. At the feet of Jesus. It's a a taste of heaven. And this leper, this former leper, this cleansed leper experiences reconciliation. So no longer is this leper saying unclean, unclean, but he is now made clean. He's at the feet of purity himself. He's come into contact with someone whose holiness and cleanness is more powerful than his uncleanness. He's no longer a walking corpse. Now he is made alive and he has been healed. And so this this Samaritan, this Samaritan has been brought near to Jesus. This, This foreigner has been brought near to the Jewish Messiah and he's at his feet worshiping him. And, and what, this, what Luke is showing here is he has no more need for a priest. Because Jesus himself is the high priest who's not only pronounced him clean, but made him clean. Jesus is the high priest and he's the temple when, where in which the Samaritan, this foreigner, can meet with God himself and worship him. He's pronounced clean. 
as Hebrews 4 says, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to him to help in time of need. So this high priest, the high priest who's passed into the heavenly places, is now pronouncing this foreigner as clean. Luke's been talking about, in this section of scripture, he's been talking about the kingdom of God. And how this, this leper, this Samaritan leper, is now brought to the feet of the high High King, High Priest Jesus, who is God himself and is now ushered into the kingdom of God. He's no, no more has to be outside the camp, but he is now a citizen of the kingdom of God. He's been brought near. He's been saved. He's been saved. That last verse, in verse, in verse 19... In verse 19, and he said to him, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. In the the Greek, it's your faith has saved you. You're saved. You're saved at the feet of Jesus. And, And it's so interesting because Jesus first talked about the 10, and he says, are not, in verse 17, were not 10 cleansed? We're not ten made clean. We're not ten made whole. But he doesn't say we're not ten saved. There's only one who was saved by the high priest, Jesus. His faith was a saving faith. A faith that threw himself at the feet of Jesus in adoration and worship. So let's look Briefly at the response, our responses to Jesus. And let's, let's think about as we walk into Thanksgiving, how should we think of what is Thanksgiving? What is giving thanks? From this text, we see that Thanksgiving is faith that focuses on the giver rather than the gift. This cleansed Samaritan leper, he challenges us. Where would we have run first? Where would you have run first? For years, you've been separated from your family. For years, you've been separated from those you love the most. And you are seeing that you are cleansed. Wouldn't you go from point A to point B to those people that you've been wanting to get close to for for the duration of your sickness? Wouldn't you go to the priest as fast as you could, do what was required of you by the law so that you could go straight to your family? But this man turns and falls at the feet of Jesus. He shows that he loved not his health as much as he loved the giver of the health. Yes, the the health was a gift, and, and gifts are designed to be enjoyed. They're designed to be enjoyed. They're, they're designed to be received with thankfulness. What thankfulness does is it turns us back from the thing that's been given to us to the one who gave it. It's, it's a relational thing. It's, it's, not, 
It's not a merely transactional thing of just taking what's been given to us and then forgetting about it, but, but looking at it, enjoying it, and then returning it back to God and saying, God, thank you for this gift that you've given to me. So thanksgiving is faith that focuses on the giver rather than the gift. The gifts are always temporary and fleeting. Christmas is coming up. My kids have been writing down their, their Christmas lists, right? But, but those, and that's good. That's, that's awesome. I love that. And yes, I'm going to get you some of those things. <laughs> and, but the thing is, is those gifts are, are fleeting. Who can remember what they were given last year for Christmas? Who can remember what they were given five years ago for Christmas? Right? Those gifts are fleeting, but the relationship remains. And same with, with God, who's the giver of every good and perfect gift. That relationship, those, those things that he gives us are to be received with thankfulness and gratitude. And we're to fall at our feet in worship and praise and thanksgiving and adoration to him and him alone. Related to that, thanksgiving is humble worship and adoration. So thanksgiving is, is faith-filled focus and it's humble worship and adoration. So we're thankful for, first for salvation, for that gift of salvation that God has given us, but for, for every good and perfect gift that God has given us. So when we feast on Thursday, let's, let's feast, let's, have, let's walk into Thanksgiving Day and Thanksgiving feasting with this picture of the saved Samaritan leper worshiping at the feet of Jesus. That's the kind of person I want to be this Thanksgiving and every day of the year. Worshiping at the feet of Jesus in thankful worship and adoration to God himself. So let's, let's do that this Thanksgiving. Worship him on our knees. Let's, let's pray. Father, we do praise you and we thank you for, for you are the giver of every good and perfect gift. God, I thank you for salvation. I thank you that you have closed the gap between us and you, that you have reconciled us by the blood of Jesus, by the cross, that you've raised us up to new life, that we are no longer those with spiritual leprosy, but that you've made us clean by the blood of Jesus. God, I pray that if there's any that don't know you here, that they would that they would cry out to, to you with a vigor today, Jesus, Master, have mercy on me. And I pray for those of us that do know you, that, that we would be reminded that you have shown us mercy and renew our plea for mercy and, and, and repentance at your feet. Lord Jesus, we worship you, we adore you, and we give you thanks for everything. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.